On this episode of the Chain Clinkers Disc Golf Podcast, we bring you the top five most important things you have to be doing correctly with your form or you will not improve at disc golf. Today we sit down with the boys from Overthrow Disc Golf and they reveal the top five aspects in your form that you must get correct. Let's get into it right now. Hi, my name is Mikey with Overthrow Disc Golf, and you're listening to the Chain Clankers Podcast. Welcome into this episode of the Chain Clankers Disc Golf Podcast, presented by Upper Park Disc Golf. They have the best disc golf bags in the game. They've got the materials that you're going to want for a sustainable future in the sport of disc golf. They've got some of the best prices. They can hold some of the most discs in your bag. A great example is the Pinch Pro that can hold over 30 discs for just about $100. You're going to want to make sure you pick that up today using promo code CLANKERS10 at checkout. Supports us, supports Upper Park, and we cannot be more thankful for you guys using that today we've got two of the smartest people in disc golf joining us on the podcast today they're giving some looks to me right now but tell me i'll tell you what folks if you want to improve your disc golf game if you want that coach that's going to be able to take you to the next level overthrow disc golf is going to be a fantastic resource for you today we've got josh and mikey like i said two of the smartest guys in disc golf fellas how are we doing tonight correction one of the smartest guys I do all the like filming and stuff, and then he can speak for himself. No, on that. that takes brains. <laughs> that takes brains. You are smart, also. Go. Was doing pretty great. Now I have like this really high expectation that I have to live up to. What the? Uh, what? Uh, I feel like you hit it nah. every single time. <laughs> yeah. No, you're good. This is going to be awesome. We uh, appreciate you guys coming on, especially since you guys are an hour behind us. It's a little late in your neck of the woods, so. Really love you guys coming on the show. Can't wait to get to talking and learning some new things. Yeah, so let's just kind of start with, you know, the very origins of disc golf. And Josh, I kind of want to start with, you know, how did you first get into disc golf? What was your disc golf journey beginning like? Bro, I thought you were about to ask me to go into the actual origins of disc golf. I'm like, I don't know, man. I really had that smart. Um, that would have been great. Um, that would have been, been a awesome. fun lit test. I started, I spent a, a summer traveling with a guy by the name of Matt Papa um, and his band. And every city that they went to, I was interning for them. Every city that they went to, they would find a disc golf course and play. So that was my introduction, sophomore year or the summer, yeah, sophomore year of college. Um, and then caught the bug, of course, started playing like an absolute madman. So that's where I started, ended up playing collegiately, and then took a break for a while, did some tennis for a while, and then back into it. Sorry, that's more than origin, I guess. Oh, that's all right. So just just for the listeners out there who would, would be interested, sophomore year of college would have been how long ago oh. when you first jumped into the sport? <laughs> Good guess. <laughs> Not to throw your age under the under the bus or anything. Yeah, just, just for just. For I, fun. I think people still think I'm like that young sometimes. Um, sophomore year of college, that would have been like 2013. That's perfect. All right, Mikey, how about you? What's your disc golf story journey like? Uh, so I grew up playing ultimate from when I was a kid. The church I went to, they uh, like a bunch of older kids played, and so I was like one of the young kids trying to hang with the older kids. And basically, I played Ultimate a ton up until uh, I taught 
ultimate and disc golf at a summer camp. But basically what that meant for me was we were going to have two ultimate classes because I literally hated disc golf. And most of the kids that came through the summer camp didn't even know what disc golf was. So I was like, all right, guys, welcome to disc golf class. We are going to play ultimate. And so, and I was like, yeah. So that was me until this one kid showed up to a class with a bag on and a ton of discs. And I'm like, this kid is going to ruin my disc golf class where we usually play ultimate. And then, you know, in my brain, I'm like, oh, how am I going to get this kid to like not want to play disc golf so we can just play ultimate during this class? But then he threw a really stellar drive. And then ever since I saw the flight of a disc, I was like, wait a second, dude. Can you show me how to throw like that? And he was like 18, so it was like the end of summer camp for him. So it was like high schoolers. And uh, so he he was actually a really decent player. I wonder, I honestly do wonder if he's like, if he did anything with that. Because I, I, maybe I just remember him being way better than he actually was because I had no context. But I remember him throwing like 400 feet. And I was like, hey, I want to know how to at least do that. And uh, so he taught me how to throw. I went back home, taught my brothers how to throw, and uh, I've got two younger brothers. So we we started playing disc golf from that point on, and that was uh, that was back in college for me as well. So like sophomore year of college for me. Gotcha. Nice. So so how did you guys kind of go from getting into the sport to maybe taking it a little bit more seriously? And then Josh, you know, kind of wanting to start overthrow disc golf and like, how did this brand come about? So we were both working as teaching pros at a country club in town. He went to go take a job. So we saw each other every day. Tennis teaching pros, by the way. Tennis teaching. Yeah, yeah. Context. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Just in case you sure. guys have a bunch of like country clubs disc golf country clubs where you're at <laughs> we're talking about oh loaded yeah um, have you heard of emporia country club come on yeah yeah exactly <laughs> that was funny that's good so we were both tennis teaching pros at a country club saw each other every day um and then he went and he took position of director at a different club and so then we were seeing each other every day and he started picking up disc golf with his brothers a little bit. And then that became how we were able to hang out again. We just started playing disc golf and then it was sort of, he was throwing and there were some things that he was doing wrong. And I realized that I had more of an eye for form than I had previously when I was in disc golf. Cause really I had no eye for form in disc golf uh, before I took a break and got back into tennis. Like in college I had zero aptitude for it. And then, came back and was like, yeah, it's kind of like this in tennis. And then another thing pops up. Oh, yeah, that's kind of like this in tennis too. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's kind of like this in tennis too. And it just like kept coming over and over and over again and kept explaining concepts to him that way. And I thought, oh, maybe I can, maybe I could coach this if I wanted to at that point. So that's how we went from tennis players to back to disc golf for me. And let's see, after that, we were playing, and he met Paul in Chipotle. Uh-huh. I should let you explain that part. Nice. Yeah, it's funny. So from my perspective, I while I was doing all the teaching stuff, a couple of years into coaching, I also got into like creative work. So, you know, graphic design, some photography and videography, and uh, that kind of continued over a couple of years. So I had like a side business going. 
even by the time that I took that director position and uh, I'd just been doing a decent amount of like freelance work, nonprofit stuff like that. Uh, and I was obviously into disc golf and obviously a fan of Paul Macbeth as everyone is. I mean, I feel like everyone's a Paul Macbeth fan. I don't know how you couldn't. Anyway, saw him at a Chipotle because we lived in the same area. He just recently moved to Florida. I'll just say that. <laughs> and uh, but he used to live in Lynchburg in the area. Saw him at a Chipotle and I was like, it's like, oh my gosh, I feel like I should go up to him and, and like tell him that, that it'd be a dream to work with him or whatever. I didn't know how it was going to work out. But anyways, I very awkwardly approached him as he had like big burrito full of, you know, mouthful of burrito. Of course, like the yeah. worst timing. And I was like, hey, <laughs> you know, a big fan. I just wanted to say, you know, I do video work in the area and it'd be a dream come true if I could like, you know, do some free work for you, whatever. He's like, yeah, sure. I mean, do you want to uh, shoot a vlog for me coming up? And so I ended up shooting a vlog for him. And uh, basically... I hadn't done any disc golf content up to that point. And so uh, I basically went to Josh and said, hey, I know you wanted to shoot some video, uh, you know, do some disc golf teaching videos. I basically used that as my pilot to show Paul Macbeth, like this is the type of content I could do. So we put together, you know, a video that I could show Paul. And, uh, and then we ended up reshooting that and posted another one we did like a couple of videos where i was like all right just trying to show paul i can do some disc golf content and then like the third video in it kind of popped off and the whole paul thing didn't really work out at the time fast forward to now i actually am paul's videographer currently but um yeah so it was actually it worked out perfect because yeah he wanted video he wanted video stuff for paul i wanted to do teaching stuff secretly i was hoping that it didn't work out with paul and i wanted to move as quickly as i possibly could yeah so that we could see disc golf growth so that mikey would be like not wanting to work for somebody else but wanting to own half of the business that i was gonna build and i'm like dude i mean it just comes down to whether or not you want to be employed by someone or if you want to own half of something that you can build mm -hmm. and so i was like quickly going and he was like yeah i'll help you start this like i'll help you start your channel and i'll get the first couple videos out on your channel and then you can like do the rest on your own blah 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 yeah and the third one starts popping off and um for whatever reason paul went kind of quiet because he was probably super busy well i mean after that third one i was all <laughs> i was like and then it was like dude weird blah blah, blah. And it's like we 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 and i was like yes <laughs> it's we now <laughs> yeah so yeah that is um that's some awesome stuff mikey it, it goes to show quentin and i talk about this all the time it's like you miss every shot you don't take so even though paul Macbeth was in the middle of a nice steak burrito right when you went up to ask him a question hey it worked out in the end and uh Josh, it makes so much sense that you say, I obviously had no idea. Um, apologize if you talk about it in some of your videos, but you got a million yeah. out there. And uh, had no idea that you were um, like a tennis coach beforehand, but your teaching is like top of the line. So it makes so much sense to why um, you, got, you guys kind of started this off and really took off and are making awesome content. So I had one question back to the, to the uh, Josh, for you, back to the kind of, you didn't really have an eye for it. And then you went back to tennis and then you came back to disc golf. Kind of what about tennis um, relates so much to the disc golf game that made it really, like, really opened your eyes and kind of got you really hooked and wanting to do that again? 
Um, I mean, when I went over to tennis, I had to learn most of the mechanics from tennis. I taught a little bit in high school just to younger kids and things like that during breaks to get a little extra money. And I did that at University of Mary Washington. So I had had some and I had taught myself tennis. So then when I went over to tennis full time, I went all in to tennis. It was like during my free time, I was watching coaches break down form. I was watching coaches um, teach students. I was... I just learned to see the mechanics and then you start focusing and someone's playing and you got to watch them take a swing and you got to see kind of what's wrong with it, what are the problem areas. And tennis, it's nice because most of that's already laid out for you because people have been having the same problems for so long and there are only a few kind of new concepts right now and it's not even that many form concepts. So I was staring at people all day trying to figure out what was wrong with their form in the beginning of tennis, it was just like you only know the things that you know to look out for. Like, if you've got a good forehand, every lesson you're teaching is probably on forehand. It's just because, like, oh, yeah, this is wrong in their forehand. And then it starts growing to what do they actually need because you just see it so much and you just practice. You just practice watching, honestly. It's not easy to uh, explain the eye for it, I guess, but quick aside to that as well. So I had grown up playing tennis, played collegiate tennis. It's a division three, so I don't want to like oversell that, but, uh, I grew up playing tennis, tons and tons of lessons. My parents spent thousands of dollars and that's kind of every, my first job was tennis related up until I was like, everything was tennis related, uh, up until I started doing creative work basically. So uh, when I worked at the country club and Josh got hired on, uh, he quickly, I started realizing quickly that he was going to outwork me when it came to coaching. And that bothered me at first. I was like, who's this guy? Like he's working way too hard. No one can keep up with that. <laughs> like this guy literally does not stop. He stays the extra hours. Every, you know, every bit of downtime he had, he was watching videos and, and he soaks everything in. Like literally, you know, for me, if I watched that amount of videos, it would not really stick. But for him, it just completely stuck and concepts and stuff came very quickly to him. And he's never had any like coaching himself for me. You know, when I became a coach, it was very much like, okay, I had a lot of coaching growing up. So a lot of my coaching style was just the coaching I had gotten. Um, so one thing I just want to say about Josh is he is like extremely devoted and not everyone has like that form elite form mind and mindset that's not a common thing and even in the coaching realm of what i've seen with tennis uh josh's ability to like retain concepts to see and break things down is what i would say is like he has a talent and a gift for it and I recognized that early on. At first, I didn't like it. And then I was like, you know what? More power to them. I've got my own, you know, teaching style. And people will, if they want a fun, uh, laid-back lesson, they'll come to me. And if they want, like, really intense form work, they'll go to Josh. And I got plenty of business to make a living, and he did as well. So it was one of those things where it was like, okay, I just, I've got my own lane of teaching. But, yeah, that's something I just wanted to plug in there that Josh is not going to be able to talk about himself because that just sounds prideful but that's that's exactly what it is he's just 
really hardworking, determined, very good coach. And uh, that's from my perspective. So yeah, and otherwise I wouldn't have gotten, I would have, would not have gone into business with someone that I felt like actually was not a good coach because that's just a dumb idea. <laughs> and I had yeah. a lot of coaching, uh, you know, coaching experience myself. I was able to be like, okay, yeah, this guy's actually good. I'm going to stick, stick with him. So you ready? Showtime on May 3rd. Summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. So let's kind of transition then from you guys had met in tennis really learned each other's kind of coaching philosophies and styles how did you transition that to disc golf you said that that third video fourth video kind of started to pop off what did that kind of look like and take me through the steps after that of like hey we could actually be something in this sport what was that moment like for you guys i don't want this to sound conceited but i had a very good feeling that before that video even popped off that we were going to do well in the sport it wasn't, um, I didn't know the time frame. I was ready to grind out for three years before we thought it was kind of a viable track. I was hoping it wouldn't take that long because uh, three years is a long amount of time. And, you know, Mikey was doing independent work and there's just a very fiscal aspect to that of like getting both people in a business to a place like where they're financially able to say, we're going all in is... uh just a miracle in and of itself and if you had to do that with two people for three years it's like there's just so much that can happen he could have had a family pop off or you know whatever or i could have had 17 kids or you know i could have to fly somewhere and take care of someone who knows right there's just so much that can happen but there was such a gap in the space for coaching um and i should explain that a little bit and then for and then production value of the videos. So Mikey, it was real obvious like he can add qu uh, quality in production. And for me, I thought I could um, at least add value in the coaching space regarding communication. So making concepts maybe a little more clear. Yeah, and I would say. Um, I mean, just watching your videos, I mean, I'm just going to, I'm going to promote you a little bit too. I mean, the, the way you make things, um, and you didn't say it, so that's another reason I bring it up for our listeners out there who maybe not, don't know you, you really find a way to, um, relate the content or the lesson you're trying to teach to the everyday disc golfer or the seasoned pro. I feel like everyone could jump on there and learn something. 
And no matter what it is you're teaching, you're able to uh, promote that. So that's just another knock. And then Mikey, your production value obviously is fantastic. But so you went from this crazy, I, w- I don't want to say crazy idea because Quentin and I are in the same boat. We had a crazy idea. Well, Quentin and Horatio had a crazy idea to start a disc golf podcast to try to help people learn talking to pros and coaches like you guys. And we've been grinding out for like almost what year and a half, two years almost. And, uh, we're we're in the we're having a lot of fun doing it and then <clears throat> so when did you when exactly did you start and how long has it taken to get to where you are now just for for the people who don't know so we started January 7th of 2021 uh-huh right yeah of 2021 mm-hmm. this is 2 years basically we've been doing this for a little over 2 years and you've been full time the whole time? No. <laughs> like that um, <laughs> We went so Mikey went full time before I did. He went full time in October. Yeah, I feel like it was of twenty twenty one. Six months. And then I went and I trained my replacement because I was the director of tennis at the country club. So then I trained my replacement and finished my work at the com- country club February first. Of last year, so a year ago. So basically, a year in, a year in, a month ish in, I went full time. And, oh, sorry, go ahead, Quentin. I was just going to say, like, what did you need to see that allowed you to go full time? Did you already have the revenue coming in? You're like, easy peasy. I can quit my job. No big deal. Or were you in a situation where it's like, okay, I can see where we're at now. If we're projecting a little positively here, we we can really make this happen. We need to go full time to make that happen. So the first part of the question is what kind of made you be like, yes, I'm going full time on this. And did you have the revenue coming in to allow you to do that? Uh, so for me, uh, I'm not going to lie. My wife makes bank. Uh, she has a director level position at a college. And so uh, basically I was able to go full-time pretty early on and kind of pursue the dream. And I'm just going to say thanks to her on that. <laughs> you know, she's working hard to make that yeah, happen sure. so that I can work hard in this business to provide for us later on. Um, and, uh, I'll let Josh talk for himself. Yeah, for me, it was, so we started making money fairly quickly because I'm trading time coaching. Yeah. So I think, I think maybe March after we had started or so, we started making money from form reviews and I was doing some lessons here and there. Um, but I was working like for like easy 50 something hours at the country club and I was making, more money than I'd ever made before. Um, but it was a lot of time. And then I was doing that. And when my boss, um, our previous boss together, the regional, original director of tennis there before I became director for a little bit, when he left or before he left more specifically, I knew that I'd be next in line. Like when he left, there would be no buffer between me and the owner of the club. So it was like, I wanted something on the side to build to the point where, when my boss left, I'd be able to leave. So I had a lot of motivation to get out of there because I was really micromanaged and I can't stand that crap. So um, the money was more than fine. We went to see Simon in November 
of our first year. And when we came back from Boston, I was like, dude, I want to quit right now. I, I'm like ready to go. And the money was good enough to where, to where I would have made just about as much as I was making with the country club. Um, but I wasn't putting as much time into it. So I think this is kind of a big thing with people who are trying to make their side hustle their their main gig is one you have to have a job to like support your side hustle first because you don't know if the side hustle is going to work or not so um one get the side hustle as a side hustle and then when the income gets to the point where it's good enough for you to um, take a, maybe even like a little bit of a hit, like I would have taken a little bit of a hit coming over. But if you know that you're going to be able to put all that time from your main hustle into the side hustle and you have stuff to do in the side hustle that will like continue to grow. Cause for me, it was like, I could open up way more lesson, lesson slots and just make more money. Um, we can do twice the amount of content and make more money. Right. So we had ways of if it was close to what I was making at the country club and I could spend more time and create more income from the business, then it was viable. And so that happened. Um, I, again, when we came back from Boston in November of the first year, I was like, we could do this. And Simon texts me and he's like, wait till you get 50,000 subscribers. I was like, dude, I would die. <laughs> I was like, well, you guys are... I would buy, yeah. bro. You know how many students that would be if we had 50,000 subs? <laughs> We're getting close. Yeah. <laughs> Not even. Yeah, that's... We still got like another 12,000 or something until that happened. Right. Which is a lot more I, I mean, hey. Yeah, you guys are killing it. You guys are doing fantastic. And yeah, Simon... I mean, I'll be honest with you. I heard about you through the Simon stuff. So that was that was when I first heard about you guys. And yeah, I mean, he, he was spot on with what he said in the video about the, the quality and the content and all that. And we've already talked about all that, but for those guys who don't know, can you, you talked a little bit about lessons and form reviews and et cetera. Can, can you give us like, or let our listeners and everybody know what your, uh, what your full brochure is. So hopefully we can add a few um, subscribers slash maybe students to the, to the, uh, to the system here. Sure. So we do coaching via youtube so those are just videos we've got our instagram um paid services would be 15 dollars a month gets you a form review that's on our live stream you send in the video i tell you what to work on what's wrong what to work on how to work on it um next level would be you can spend a half hour with me or 45 minutes with me or an hour slash two half hour blocks every month so that's kind of subscription over on our Patreon. That's just patreon.com uh, slash overthrow disc golf. And those are just different time chunks. At the one hour Patreon level, you get you also get a half hour with Mikey that nobody's ever used and nobody knows what it is. <laughs> no, <I'm kidding>. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> hey, you said it's a laid background. Sounds like you can go have a beer and well, play yeah, nine I was gonna holes. say if everyone plays like Destiny Two or Rocket League, then like yeah, it just see? takes the right person, uh, you know. Maybe I should put that on the on the here. <laughs> yeah, it just takes the right. Person. Thirty minutes of Mikey Destiny Two slash Rocket League. Just get to that. <laughs> yeah, that's great, guys. So one more question I have before we kind of transition into the educational part of today's show. 
What would you say is your guys' five-year goal? If you were to look back five years from now, how would you define the next five years as a success and what do you want to accomplish? Yeah, my goal from the get was spend three to five years coaching and learning everything or most of what I think is makes up the disc golf form, mechanics, coaching-wise, um, shot selection, things like that. And then hopefully gain enough experience there in those three to five years to start coaching other coaches. So I think I'm on the way. Just so much to learn. I'm, I feel like I'm not even close. He's close. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We definitely, we hear you there, man. We talk to a lot of different pros and just advanced, whatever, just all kinds of different people. And I feel like even though, yes, we kind of hash over some of this, you know, a lot of people have a lot of similar things to say, but we learn something in every podcast and it's, it's unreal. And I mean, we, we do it, we can to watch forum videos and all that stuff, but you also can't, at least for me personally, I can't just constantly watch that stuff kind of burns me out. So, um, it's. I don't know, man. There's so much out there. So more power to you, man. You're kicking kicking booty. Let's get into the educational part of today's episode. So today we want to talk about the top five most important things you have to be doing correctly with your form. Otherwise, you will not be able to improve. So I'll kind of maybe the format will go, you know, you guys will count us down five to one and we'll provide some commentary and ask questions on each one. So uh, if you guys could, let's hear number five. Okay, number five. So these are in order of importance. Is that what we're saying? Yeah. That's brutal. Number one's the most important. Sorry. Yeah. I don't feel like you can have like a super solid throw without any of these. Okay. uh, yeah, if I end, then it doesn't have to be of importance. Okay. Yeah, if it doesn't matter, then yeah, we can just do. Okay, five, let's just no do five then. Order. Let's, I didn't rate yeah. them by yeah. importance, so now I'm like really like. Oh, you're good. Do I want to hold to this being <laughs> the most important? All right. Okay. Um, let's go with nose angle first. Kind of low hanging fruit. When you see a nose down flying disc, when you see a throw a pro throw that disc nose down, it's like incredible the extra distance that you get. And it's like, does not take that much more effort. You just have to get in that position. And it's just like, wow, that disc goes 100 feet further. And I think most people know that they throw those up. But, yep. Uh, fun story real fast, quick one. I was throwing, uh, I had the really cool opportunity that this does not happen every time, but to throw next to Paul doing field work. And I would consider myself, like I'd, throw really far I I don't know I just didn't know I thought I'd maybe hit my limit of how far I could throw like 480 uh I think 498 is my longest throw so like just under five and I was throwing next to Paul and I saw the first half of the flight I was like oh you know uh this look this looks good for me looking good I'm, I'm like tracking with Paul's shot we're throwing like kind of at the same time so I'm able to see and I'm noticing the second half of the flight, mine is like kind of up here and Paul's is still pointing straight. And I was like, am I throwing those up? And in my head, that wasn't really like a possibility. Because he'd only thrown next to me. Oh, that's so true. <laughs> yeah, but I throw it next to him and I'm just seeing his disc and it's still flat by the time it gets that second half of the flight. Whereas for me, you know, I'm fighting against the wind the second half of the flight and I'm flaring out. So anyways, that was just a little aside to, wow, these guys are throwing much more nose down than 
you know, in my brain, I'm like, I don't know if I can throw more nose down than this. And uh, it just makes me think, okay, there's definitely more nose down to be had. So so let's talk about how, how can a disc golfer get into the proper position to throw nose down? Is that thumb pressure on the disc? Is that how you're holding it through your reach back? Like, how would you, when you're looking at someone's form, what would check that box of, yes, the nose angle is down here? Well, there's a lot of ways to throw nose up. I'll say that. And a lot of things that you have to do right to get the thing truly nose down. Um, people pour the coffee. That's where you like bend your wrist down. For those viewers, it's like this. Um, for those listening, sucks to suck. Um, <laughs> right. And then there's supination, which also gets the nose down, which is if you roll your palm upwards as if you're asking for a bowl of soup. So supination turns the nose down and if you do that at the hit more supination more nose down um pronation is the opposite and that results in nose up so those are like the two things there grip makes a huge difference if you have like a really backloaded grip or a grip that where the disc is like all the way back in your palm um it's a little bit easier i find personally for it to be nose up that way so uh, front-loaded grip might make it a little bit easier. Grip is something that you have to play with big time on this um, and just practice that. And then there's things that you don't think about with form. Like if you are if you start high with your lead shoulder and then you drop down, you're basically throwing into the ground while your hand, your body doesn't like for you to throw into the ground. So if you're like leading the throw with your shoulder and your head's like tipping forward as you throw, then your hand's going to say, I got you, bro, and it'll pop upwards so that you don't throw into the ground, right? So the way to actually throw nose down with your body position is to throw up with your lead arm. So you got to make sure that you bend at the waist so that you can have a basically upward throw um, so that your mind's okay first throwing nose down. So you throw up so that you can throw nose down. Um, and then... Yeah, making sure that you hit at the... There's so much. You have yeah. to make sure that you hit out at the right time. Yeah. I should have just, like, rocketed them off and just told people, like, there's just so much. You need a form review. Um, this <laughs> is why this is happening. Um, but to make sure that you're hitting um, not totally in front of your body. So if your target line is at 12 o'clock and you release your hand at 12 o'clock, it's probably going to be nose up. So if you're a righty, it needs to come out more closer to, like, 10 or 11 o'clock and if you're a lefty and he's come out more about one or two o'clock yeah needless to say uh that might be why the pros are able to throw nose down a lot better than the rest of us because there's a lot that goes into it yeah it's not just like you just have to do this and then you'll throw nose down and then it'll be the same as the pros it's like a lot of things that play into it agree yeah that was i mean that was We've asked that question quite a few times, and that was by far the most different responses <laughs> that were all very legitimate, and at least they sounded very good. I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, all I, I knew is like, things sound that sound smart, and then people want to make them coach. No. I'm really just lying. I'm just kidding. I'm sure they're great. I did have one question on the grip. You said supina supination. So this is for me personally. I just want to ask a question since you're on the show, and hopefully it'll help somebody out there. So 
I feel like I maybe do the opposite, like open my hand up. Is this what you mean by yeah, that's pronation? That's pronation. Mm-hmm. That is that is gonna that is nose up, silly right up, there, just like this. Yeah. So you're saying, and you pull through. This is gonna be a bad example, but for the so you can see it. So as you're pulling, say I'm pulling towards you. Mm-hmm. When I release, I need to put my hands. Your palm like needs this. to go up. Yeah. Oh my. So the chi- the like, like the mindset thing is in the backswing. Um, your palm should be slightly down or your fingernails slightly up. And then in the pocket, your palm should be slightly down again. So it goes down, down, and then you need to roll it up. Some people call this turning the key. Wow. I think I keep my, my top of my hand facing the sky. It's so supernatural to, to do that. Try and see what supernatural. Pro, yeah. Pronation is just a more natural feeling. Yeah. Motion. It's really surprising that supination is so important in our sport because it's such a weak motion actually. But anyways. Is that a is that a overthrow disc golf term or did you is That's that a tennis like a ed, well I mean lots of That's a biomechanics term. Yeah. I'm not smart enough really? to make that crap up. Supination. <laughs> I say, never I love it. Well, I can't wait to try Palm up a nation. <laughs> Palm up a nation. Palm No, yeah. that's overthrow. <laughs> you can coin that one. Yeah, I feel like I need to go back and look at some of the the videos of me throwing that I have on my phone right now because uh, that's never something I've thought about. And and just another reason why you guys, if you're new to the podcast, why you should subscribe because every episode you're going to be getting some sort of new knowledge that's going to help you become a better disc golfer. So guys, let's jump into what do you got for number four? Number four. And I kind of did put these in order actually looking at it. So we're counting down. That was five. Was just okay. Four. Official. We are counting down. <laughs> okay. Back it. to the official. So these these next three are kind of all of almost equal importance. Okay. Uh, but coiling more. So coiling is with if you stand if you just stand straight up and you twist your shoulders back, right? That's coiling. So like this. Again, for those who are watching, without moving your feet, right? It's just moving your shoulders. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, most people like to turn their hips and their shoulders all the way backwards. Yeah, together. And what you want to do is you want to turn your hips a little bit backwards, but you want to turn your shoulders a whole lot backwards so that kind of like like if you wring a towel out, you've got this twist in your upper body because you can unload that twist way faster than you can take your hips and your shoulder and like basically 180. Yeah. And when you do that, that if you're a right-handed thrower, so that left shoulder, that left arm, are you trying to keep that left arm close to your body in or like kind of up kind of like you're doing right now, Josh, like toward your mm-hmm. shoulder? Like what should that arm be doing? Like, yes, I can see the shoulder up, but should that arm be out? Should it be touching your shoulder? Like where where should that hand slash arm placement be? It sounds like a personal question. <laughs> Maybe it is. <laughs> um, so... The big thing is the shoulders, right? So the left hand, if you keep it in front of your body, let's say, you'll never get the left shoulder back. So for me personally, I think the optimal cue for me is actually to take it as if I'm going to elbow someone behind me with my off off arm. So my right shoulder would be moving back away from the target, and actually my left shoulder is moving back towards the target line, right? So I think if you elbow somebody in the face behind you, John Jones style. you're going to have nice bend at the waist. 
you're going to get a good shoulder turn and then your hand's still close enough to not uh, be late to the party post parade. Like it'll get back in time not to inhibit your throw or like weigh you down. Like you don't want that thing just dangling way back there while you're trying to move everything else forward. It's going to slow you down. And then you said in turn, so obviously coil sounds like you're coiling up a spring, so it's ready to just yes. pop and, and fly out. And doing this is going to speed up the rotation or just get the timing a little bit better. Yeah, it gives you a longer, more coil gives you more room to accelerate. So it's like increasing the length of a racetrack. Doesn't mean you'll drive the car faster, just means that you could drive the car faster. And with proper form and a and a form reviews from overthrow disc golf, you'll throw the disc further, right? Yeah, at least 500, I say. <laughs> yeah, at least 500. Yeah. <laughs> Not 600, I think you should unsubscribe and get all your money back. <laughs> Quote it. <laughs> That's good. Okay, guys, what do you got for number three on the Number list? three. Okay, and this is just as... Okay, so these next two are, are top of my list right now. Like, if I teach people two things... The f this is one of the first two things that I teach them. It's either the first or it's the second. Um, so the brace or the stop. It's really, really, really important to stop your forward momentum so that we can whip the disc out. And my current favorite analogy, because I'm a really, really happy person, is a car crash. So <laughs> you're driving down the highway 60 miles an hour. Your head isn't just like randomly whipping forward. Right. Everything in the vehicle right. is moving 60 miles an hour. Right. The head in this analogy would be the disc. So our goal is actually whip the disc out. Right. So the best way, the most efficient way to do that is just to run into another car, just like smash somebody else. Right. So when the car stops, everything else inside the vehicle starts moving forward. Right. Your back starts peeling. Some of you guys are in a car listening to this right now. Yeah, think about cracking. Godspeed to you. <laughs> They're all just like, don't, don't do it. So you hit someone in front of you, and then your back peels off the chair, right? And then your seatbelt clicks, and then your head whips, right? So when we think about translating things, you've heard like, oh, we need to translate our walk up into the disc, right? How you do that is you have to actually stop so that everything else in the car can move forward. If you never stop your car, you never translate the energy into the disc. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. I'm not explaining so, it. I struggle with that myself. No, I, I think that kind of makes sense. So an example of doing this incorrectly, of incorrectly bracing, would be if you are throwing on your drive, and after you throw, you are falling off the T-pad. Right forward to the side whatever it is because that momentum is being Whatever. lost as it's going forward instead of actually stopping in exactly your body, right? mm -hmm. yeah and what we're trying to do most amateurs we're trying to whip the head forward on our own and wondering why the disc why it's so hard and why the disc isn't going so fast right when we just need to find something to crash into right so the uh the stop super important that's number one or number two so, depending on who i'm teaching so this is something that I found in my own form and uh, when Quentin makes beautiful reels of me throwing ugly shots on our Instagram. Go check out Instagram, by the way, at Chain Clankers, Siskolf. Um This is something I've been working on. What would you say is, I mean, that all makes perfect sense. And I noticed it 
right away when I finally watched the video, but what would you say to someone who is having the same issue? What is one thing that they could do to kind of work on the brace or what is one, I know this might be Patreon exclusive type stuff, but if you could give us a little, like a little insight or what is the drill to kind of get yourself to, for, uh, to, for, for your example, to hit the other car and get the rest of the material in the vehicle moving forward. Yeah. Um, this is not Patreon exclusive material. We'll make a video on it here pretty soon, but, um, the whoa sorry our camera went out Uh, but uh the drill i think first is to not just stop on that foot but actually do almost like a basketball juke where you're trying to get around somebody and you actually push off of that foot and then go the opposite direction right so just at slower speeds um i could show it but i don't know if that's good for your online listeners or what uh, you, you can see it on Spotify and YouTube, so maybe we can we can chop yeah, it up potentially too. So. Did you say you can see it on Spotify? Yeah, we yes. have video on Spotify. Wow, you learn something new every day. <laughs> yep. I feel like I'm yeah. so. If you're an Apple Podcast listener, head over to Spotify or YouTube right now. The new YouTube for the podcast is Chain Clinkers Podcast. So yeah, uh, either of those two locations should do it. <laughs> And I'll kind of, we can also kind of try to describe it as your yeah. Doing it as well. So again, I'm just kind of doing a juke here. But when we go to brace, this foot is resisting the rest of our body, right? So the easiest way to do that is actually to stop and cut back, mm-hmm. right? And if this rug didn't have a uh, sticky thing <laughs> underneath bottom. it, I'd be able to slide the whole rug forward and move back. Most people they just go here and then they twist that front foot and the rug would never move right so it's kind of the difference in sliding this rug forward or keeping it in place so that's the first step i think and then you eventually learn to throw and then fall back and then eventually you throw and you're balanced ah is that kind of like how a baseball player will load up on their back foot and then they transition that that to the front foot and then everything kind of comes through the hips is that is that kind of the same way because i played baseball growing up trent i I know you did i don't know if you guys did at all but that's kind of the best way for me i guess to think about it because i was a left-handed baseball player but i throw right-handed uh in baseball and in disc golf so for me the drive is the exact same thing as hitting so to me it almost seems as though you want to load up on your on the back side of your body and as you're planting that's when you kind of make that transition and kind of you know do the other things you've talked about in the coil and let everything go right is that is that a good way of understanding yeah it yeah so the block something? is the same on the front foot um there's you know back leg front leg is super buzzwordy right now in disc golf so the correct way to look at this is coming out of your x step your weight's going to be on your back foot right while your front foot's going and then before your throwing motion, you're going to transition the pressure from the back foot to the front foot, and then you're going to throw from that stop position. But that foot creates that block so that you don't go past mm-hmm. it. So the pressure is on the front foot, you are balanced, and then you throw from there. Yeah, that's some good stuff. I'm definitely, I can't wait to get out and uh, give it a try, so... 
one last question before we move to number two. I, I just want to hit on what, like, that proper, like, back leg swing through should be. Like, would you expect that back leg to swing in front of the body? Should it kind of stop about where your front foot is? Like, where should that back foot be stopping in its rotation? Well, so I'll let you answer. In the car analogy, when you hit the wall, which is your front leg, what happens to everything else in the car? Uh, everything goes it all forward. slides forward right so when yep. you stop on that front leg your back leg's actually going to slide forward first and it's going to de-weight because now your weight's on your front leg right so you're going to s- stop it's going to slide forward and then after you throw in the hips after that block everything slides forward and then it rotates on its own and then it swings around like that foot swings around. So the foot slides forward first and then swings around after like into the follow through. It swings around. Yeah. And I would say most amateurs or people who don't brace correctly, it immediately swings around. They try to swing it around. Right. Exactly. Then they lose the weight shift and they lose the, the stop because if you go for the rotation in the beginning, you don't get the stop. Yep. Okay. Okay. So, so I think a proper brace would, you are able to, you know, let's say you're on a cliff, right? You would be able to stop yourself on the cliff, but you should still rotate through. So you should still follow through. Like that back leg should still come all the way through. You're just, your okay. momentum is now on that front leg. Everything is generated in that front leg. You're not falling forward because you're, uh, bad bad word choice, but you're forcing the swing of that back leg, which is thus causing you to lose balance, fall forward, lose momentum. Yeah, exactly. Right? Am I making yeah, sense with people that? People do way okay. too much, and they push that back leg forward, and then they push themselves right over the cliff. Gotcha. Mm. Okay. That makes sense. All right, let's move on to number two. Number what do you two guys got? is throw out. Throw away from the body. Um, a lot of people short-arm the throw. We're coming you come through the power pocket and then they wrote like they rotate the shoulders and everything forward and now their hand stays relatively close to their chest so instead if you uh instead what I would like to see people doing what pros do is they should go from their chest in the pocket and then they should leave their chest and their elbow there and basically extend at that point, they need to start moving the hand very, very quickly out of the chest, basically. As you come passive into the chest, into the pocket, and then from there, you need to just absolutely gash your hand if you're trying to throw far. You accelerate the hand away from the chest, and this is where we get into that 12 o'clock, 10 o'clock position that we talk about a bunch, because if your shoulders... So if your shoulders are pointing in a line towards 12 o'clock, your lead shoulder is 12 o'clock, your back shoulder is 6 o'clock for... Uh, right-hand player, then your hand is going to go out towards 10 o'clock while your shoulders stay there, right? So this hinging motion here, basically like where you're going to backhand someone, it's like this. And your your elbow is pointing at 12 o'clock, No, right? my elbow is or pointing elbow at pointing 10, basically. At 10? Okay. Or another way to say this is your chest angle to like your bicep angle should be about 125 degrees or so right not 90 not 180 but somewhere in between Hmm. okay so if 
if a disc golfer is grip locking a lot and almost yanking over, assuming they're a right-handed player and they're yanking over and maybe they're finishing at that 12 o'clock or 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, they need to almost – they need a – I think it's a bad way of explaining, but they need to change that release angle closer to what you're saying of 10 o'clock, right? Is that is that a good way of putting yeah. it? Yeah, so grip lock, first off, is – with distance is the goal. So when people grip lock, they just know that they miss it really far right if they're a right-hander or really far left if they're lefty. But that sensation of your arm, so that happens because your arm extends all the way from your body and then the disc still wants to go. So your arm stops or straightens out and then the disc continues going. We want that to happen. We just want that to happen at 10 o'clock. Would it be helpful to say the disc mm. wants to pivot? Yeah, the disc pivots out of your grip, and that's where it grip locks. Right. Most grip locks, we'd all be very happy with distance-wise. Mm-hmm. Right? That's because their arm straightens out there for the most part. And when it's gotcha. Eight, so really you're just mad at where the release point is at that 12-1-2 where instead you want that same motion with your with your arm, you just want that closer to that 10 o'clock. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean <laughs> trends uh, <laughs> I'm, found I'm it. I mean that makes sense. Too, but yeah. That makes sense because and, – and Trenton, I'm going to try to relate this to you to what we did the other day when we went to Colwich and I kept saying I'm not hitting the gap because I'm putting my body in a bad spot that I'm going to hit the tree in front of me instead of moving it over. I think you can just apply this to your release angle. You, A, if you're under 950 listening to this show, you probably shouldn't be throwing a destroyer. You should probably be throwing something that is a fairway and or not overstable. So a firebird doesn't count. So if you're throwing something a little overstable, you almost want that disc to move when you release it from its starting point right. You're almost trying to put a little bit of flex on it to the right because you're throwing at 10, but because you want that arm to fully come out, it should move to 12 on its own to get a full flight to then finish back at 10 o'clock, if that makes sense. So is that kind of the goal? at 10 o'clock, the disc is flexing to 12, is that what you're saying? Yep, Jordan? yep, yep. And then it ends closer to 10 or whatever its natural flight is. Is that kind of a, a good uh, goal to have when throwing? Is that it, Would you define that as a good throw? Or am I just pulling something out of my, my butt right uh, now? I honestly, I fear that I've made it way too complicated. Because I didn't understand what you said. Okay. <laughs> so well, aim, so here's the thing. When you're so, working on form, you're not working on aim. Right? So what gotcha. we're talking about with the throw out is purely a body position. 12 o'clock and 10 o'clock is not in relation to your line at all. Okay. Sometimes it coincides. But 12 o'clock, 10 o'clock is my shoulders are pointing at 10, but my hand goes, or sorry, my shoulders are pointing at 12, and my hand goes out to 10 o'clock. This body position here. In other words, this would not be it if I have less than, if I have this, like, less than 90 degree angle here when I'm throwing I just collapse the pocket it's not powerful body position neither would if my hand was at 12 o'clock and my shoulders were with 12 o'clock if it was like totally my chest was totally straight with my hand that would be a late release right so we need to find this body position every time 
And if you hit the tree when you're going out and doing practice every time, but your body position is good, you need to train yourself and say, this is good and hit this body position every time. And then once you hit the body position every time, say, hmm, when I line up this way, I hit the tree on the left. Let me try to line up a little bit more to where I'm walking up a little more right, but keeping the body position. Does that make sense? So the throw out is a form yeah, thing. Yeah. It's not an aim thing. Aim helps. Like form helps with aim in some ways, but we're just talking about what's powerful and what's strong. It's to get your hand away from your chest very quickly. Um, real fast, just because uh, this can be kind of a confusing topic. If you watch our video called Two Lanes, as far as aiming is concerned, you'll find that you're able to hit your lines a lot. But at least for me personally, the Two Lanes video we did, uh, the stuff I gathered from that helped me hit my lines. So if you're worried about hitting lines, the Two Lanes video, I feel like, does a good job of basically explaining the line. Mm-hmm. As far as that's concerned, yeah, for me that that did the most positive effect on me being able to do the right form and hit my lines. So that's a helpful tidbit for those who are looking for something visual to see this. Because talking about it as I'm listening to it, I'm like, ten o'clock, twelve o'clock. This happened so fast, it's hard to right. keep up with. So and even yeah. saying ten o'clock and yeah. twelve o'clock, people are probably thinking like, uh, 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 where is it? So, or at least for me. Yeah. I, and we have, to, we have to go drill back to the original point, right? It was to throw out. We're not necessarily talking. Yeah. So that's, it's yeah. easy to start thinking ahead, right? We jumped ahead a little bit. I think I did it and then Quentin did it. And then we all, I mean, it's fine. It's probably why it was confusing. But the point is, and now that we, I roped it back in, we, we all roped it back in. The point is the 10, the 10 o'clock release is just getting your body to release the disc away and getting your hand to move fast. Is that, is that an accurate statement? Yes. Perfect. Perfect. Well, I think I overcomplicated that <laughs> one, so I will try to not do that on number one. So, Josh, what do you got for number, number one? Number one is the easiest and hardest con concept at the same time, and it is be loose. This is by far the most important thing, more important than any intellectual understanding of a form concept, is being loose. Loose muscles are fast muscles. At the end of the day, You've got to learn how to move the disc quickly. And there are guys who have really good form that can only throw the disc 300 feet. And then there are guys with really bad form that can throw it 550 feet because they know how to be loose and move the disc. So loose muscles are fast muscles. You have got to be loose. Everything loose. Don't think about tightening anything. Anytime sports people do things quickly, it's not tight. They're thinking fast, 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 loose, 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 loose. Pressure situations, loose, loose, breathe, breathe, right? Right. So that's foundational so, to every form piece. So when you say be loose, because I know this is one thing, like it's it's very hard to do, like you said. Is it Does that include like all the way down to your grip, wrist? Like I know there's like pour the coffee into a cup or whatever. Um, does that include everything or I guess everything? Yeah. I mean, everything. Yeah. And let me just say this, um, just in tennis, at baseball, I mean, from everything that I've been, when you tighten your grip, your first thing that happens is your forearm muscles tense up and your bicep tenses up and everything tenses up. So, uh, from my perspective of tightening grip, I 
I'm sure someone can just isolate the grip itself, but even now, like grip tensing my is tensing my forearm. So you're tensing muscles by tightening your grip. Yep. The thing that gets people in weight, I I almost never have problems with people being too loose. I don't I can't remember one. Mm-hmm. But I can remember lessons on lessons on lessons where the grip is just a death grip mm-hmm. and their wrist is super tight. And it's like, no wonder why you can't get spin on this. Like everything's tight. Mm-hmm. You gotta it needs mm-hmm. to be loose. Everything yeah. needs to be loose. I know I try to grip it a little bit harder than I probably should, so I'm gonna I'm worried I'm gonna like drop the disc or release it too early, but the disc wants to come out of your hand. So yep. yeah. As long as and the thing is is if you're right. loose and you're actually doing the hit, like go grab a towel and whip a towel. Right. If I just gave you a towel and told you to whip it, you would not think one second about your grip. You would just True. whip Valid the point. towel, right? And but right. if you started focusing on what happened with your hand, when you go to whip the towel, you would realize that your hand naturally grips a little bit. Right? Tighten it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tightens a little bit. So there's just nothing like as loose as possible with a tennis racket, like Mikey was saying. Does my hand tighten up? Yeah, I'm sure it does. I'm positive it does, but I never think about that. I don't have to. Right? You see t- pro tennis players and they're going to serve. And then the disc, like the grip, the racket just like flies out of their hand sometimes because of how loose they are. Mm-hmm. So. Yep. Yeah. I, I think that's a concept that uh, I know I definitely need to work on. I'm not going to overcomplicate this one. It makes sense. Just chill out. <laughs> Be loose with it. All right. You know, you're not trying to kill the disc. If, you, if you're if you muscling on it, if you can feel yourself being tense, step off and uh, take it that deep breath and let's, let's try again. But hey, guys, this has been such a fantastic episode. I had a ton of fun learning more about your guys' backstory and, and your brand as well as these five things and form that disc golfers have to get right if they want to get better at disc so before we get out of here where can people continue to connect with either of you two as well as your brand and where can they if they want some of these coaching sessions where can they do that at if you want coaching it's at our patreon patreon.com slash overthrow disc golf form reviews coaching everything goes there and then youtube and instagram for our social media slash full length videos mm-hmm and that's where you can find us. <laughs> yeah, and if you need to message something in particular or talk about in-person lessons or something like that, Instagram. Don't email me, please. <laughs> Heck, yeah. Well, Mikey and Josh, we really appreciated it, and uh, we will see you guys on the next one. Thanks, Yeah, guys. absolutely. Thanks, Quentin and Trenton, for having us. <laughs>